Welcome to Caregiver Wellness Retreat Podcast. I am so happy that you decided to join us today for this really special episode. We are starting finally our season two, and I'm so honored to welcome Donna Thompson. Donna shares with us both from a wealth of her own personal experience and also the work that she's been doing on a book and through specific research. This topic is not a topic that I have seen a lot on, and it is the PTSD and caregiving and what really constitutes trauma and what PTSD and complex PTSD actually mean. Today, you're going to hear both Donna's story, which is powerful and I believe incredibly relatable to caregivers. The trauma that she was experiencing through her life as a caregiver was and is PTSD. She defines trauma and helps us conceptualize it. And she says that it is the experience of a life-threatening event or witnessing a life-threatening event or hearing about one with respect to someone that you love or deeply care, care about. And that's what constitutes trauma. What moves it into PTSD is the sense that you never left the traumatic scene and you're stuck in the event and that threat is not over. And it puts you in this survival or hypervigilant mode. It's really quite revolutionary to think of it in terms of caregiving. And she's been doing some research work, which I found incredibly profound, called narrative exposure therapy. And we talk quite a bit about that and how that really can be a free and inexpensive and incredibly useful tool. She also talks about how PTSD is a memory problem, and I've never heard it defined like that. And you'll want to make sure that you listen all the way to the end for that sort of revolution. And last, she wraps up by talking about her own personal anecdote and experience of forgiving her mother and the sort of um, roller coaster of a relationship that they had. And she passed with dementia. Today is a lot and it's also incredibly profound. We want to thank you for joining us and I'll ask now if you are new or if you're a longtime listener, you can really help us out by leaving a review. You can also, uh, there's a link there to buy us a cup of coffee or to donate on our website. We'd love to connect with you. All of our things that we do are free and no cost to caregivers and we hope that you'll do one of the most valuable things which is share this with another caregiver thank you so much for joining us and i look forward to our next one right now enjoy donna thompson So good morning again, everyone. I am really excited about this episode with Donna Thompson. And 
Donna has uh, so graciously <laughs> with our time zones offered to come in and share her experiences with caregiving. And this topic is something I was sharing with her that I cannot believe we haven't explored yet in our podcast series, which is uh, experiencing trauma or PTSD through caregiving. And so how, how we adapt, we'll also talk about the post-traumatic growth uh, aspect of that as well, which I'm super excited about. Um, but Donna, you are quite an extraordinary human. I think uh, all of the experiences and the things that you have gone through, we will gain a wealth of knowledge from. But you're an author, and I've uh, I have I have a hardback copy here, and I know your softback copy is coming out any any moment now. I think this mm -hmm. month. Um, yes. You're an author, a teacher. You're a mother of two grown children, one who has uh, cerebral palsy and a medical complexity. Um, you also have helped care for your mother who had, or who was living with dementia, um, and she passed away in 2018 at 96, a very wow. long life to live um, with dementia. Uh, you're also the co-author of The Unexpected Journey of Caring, which is a phenomenal book. I, I have to say it is one of the more dense caregiving books that I've read, where you go through line by line and you think, wait a minute, I need to go back through that, that again, because it's so rich and full of um, a lot of resource. Uh, it really has given me a lot of hope. So I appreciate um, the book that I've been able to go through. You also have an incredible thing, and I'm going to go ahead and put um, for those of us that are listening, um, you can join our podcast actually live and I've just added her bio to the chat. In addition, um, you have a lot of resources. So I'm going to put this in the chat box as well. Uh, not only do you have a phenomenal blog, which you keep really current. <laughs> I'm very impressed at your uh, continuous writing. Uh, that's definitely a skill. But you also have a wonderful Facebook group. Um, and you have also something called Caregiving Essentials, which is an, an you know, a whole catalog um, of resources for caregivers. And uh, weeding through all of that, that's an incredible resource. So if you are, we will link this um, in the show notes for the podcast, but if you're here and you want to click on it, uh, you can do that and make sure you save those links for later. So Donna, good morning. <laughs> Hi, and thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm really, really happy to have you. Um, in listening to your story and um, you know, sharing about how PTSD came up for you. I'd love for you just to give us a, a, a short kind of background to real, your caregiving and how that led you to the discovery of maybe I have PTSD. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I never really realized that what I was experiencing was trauma or, or, or what I was experiencing was PTSD. I had no names for these things. Um, I think like everybody else here, I'm sure, you know, you kind of just put your head down, you go through your experiences in trying to keep the people you love alive and well. Um, and so uh, I think the first traumatic events um, 
that relate to caregiving that I experienced were with my dad when I was a teenager. And my father had three strokes. Um, and um, I was at home alone with him one day. And uh, I think my mom was shot. I don't know, she wasn't home. And I was in my bedroom, my dad was in the living room. And um, I heard him make a sound like he was not he lost his speech and his mobility with his three strokes. But I heard a sound that didn't seem normal. And I came out of my bedroom and I ran down the hall and I saw my father, um, his head was back and he was shaking all over. And um, I was 16 and I thought I was watching my father die, dying. I thought he was having another stroke. So I called 911 and they came and they brought my dad to the hospital and 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 subsequently I found out that it wasn't a stroke it was a seizure and that stroke patients can quite often have seizures but he had never had one before and certainly I had never witnessed a grand mal seizure before and it completely terrified me so fast forward to um uh, our son was born in 1988 with severe cerebral palsy and medical complexity. And um, he, he was uh, a very challenged baby coming into the world. So he was hard to feed and he couldn't tolerate stimulation and, and he couldn't, he was impossible to soothe and all of that. In any case, one day when he was two, he, uh, it was his first day of a special needs preschool. And he, it was the first time I had any respite. So I remember very clearly sitting in my kitchen, reading a newspaper, having coffee in my pajamas, thinking, oh my God, this is so great. <laughs> and um, the phone rang and um, it was the school director, and she said, your son has had a seizure, he's on his way to the hospital, and he is not responsive. So he, Nicholas had never had a seizure that we knew of. So I got in the car, drove to the emergency room, white knuckled, of course, thinking that he would die, or that he would be profoundly changed that he wouldn't be the baby that I knew that there was going to be further brain damage from the seizure. Anyway, I got to the door of the emergency room and I could hear him crying. And immediately I knew that he was okay because it was his normal cry. And then after that, every time the phone rang at home, I had a panic attack. I even if I was holding Nick in my arms, I thought something horrible is happening here. And I had this, you know, because the phone rang and it took me a long time to get over that. Um, and so I have always had a big interest in research and 
and in being a partner in research. And that's a topic for another day because I could go on about all of that and the work that I do in that area too. But I was a partner um, over the last couple of years on a research project looking at PTSD and trauma in family caregivers. And boy, did I ever learn a lot about what happened to me, about what happens to most people um, who are in this role and how recovery works. Because PTSD, I didn't know this until I learned it recently, is that PTSD is actually a problem of memory. The memory of a trauma is stored differently from normal memories in your head. And so there are, and, and the way and the circumstances in which our traumatic memories may be misstored so that they get mixed up um, and we get triggered by something that is not in fact a threat. This has to do with other um, traumatic events we've had. So there is a building block effect of trauma. We don't get better at managing our trauma as caregivers with practice, because many of us here, uh, uh, virtually everybody, I'm sure, has had multiple traumas. And we don't, you know, you think that, geez, I should be, I should be getting so good at this now. I, and, and I'm not. Little things bring me to my knees now. Why is that? And, uh, you know, I, I, I learned through participating in this research project that I forgive myself one million times over for this because it is natural, human, proven um, reaction to trauma, multiple trauma, that we, it, it is this building block event or rocks on your back, as in one slide that we used in presenting the research, that one rock on your back is the first traumatic event, then two, then three, then four. And it takes one little stone to push you to your knees at the end. So, um, you know, I, I think that trauma and PTSD in caregiving is incredibly common. And it's not only the trauma in caregiving, it's all the traumas that we've had before we even started caregiving. And we found this in the research project, 78% of all respondents in a huge survey had, had been in a car accident, had had a divorce, had lost their job, had, you know, it's had had lost um, some member of their family had had some or and many, many had had unwanted sexual um, encounters or sexual abuse, like how common is it? That's and true. then we become caregivers and add that trauma on top. So um, yeah, that that was my personal journey in this in this learning. Um, and, you know, our son has had many, many near death experiences and I've given him CPR on the living room carpet and stuff like that. And you just don't get over that no. very easily. No. 
Well, when you, gosh, there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> if you had to concisely define trauma so that we can kind of conceptualize, how would you define it? Well, you know, in, in looking at, I mean, there is a definite, there's, there are formal definitions of trauma, but if you, if you have had um, either experienced um, a life-threatening event wit or, or witnessed a life-threatening event or even heard about a life-threatening event um, with respect to somebody that you love or care deeply about, um, that constitutes trauma. And PTSD involves, um, you know, this sense that you've never left the traumatic scene and that you're stuck in the event and that the threat is not over. So people will remain in what we call survival mode. And the traumatic event is the constant reality. So you can never escape it. And the present reality um, can, can seem like a dream or an illusion. Uh, so you're really living, um, constantly reliving the traumatic event or constantly expecting um, a crisis. That feeling of dread, that feeling of expecting the next crisis all the time. Yeah. It's horrible. Been it's, there, done that. It's, it's like awful. walking down a road and instead of, instead of expecting, uh, you know, uh, a rainbow around the corner, <laughs> you feel like there might yeah. be some threatening poking out around the corner, even though, you know, it's, it's not there. It's happened in the past. It just mm -hmm. lives and lingers. And that description you just said of um, sort of imagery, I, a lot of the individuals that I work with with trauma almost talk about kind of walking through their life as if they're watching a movie, right? That it, they yes. feel they dissociation. Feel like the disassociation. The disassociation. They feel like they're back there and all of these things are happening, but they can't really be in the present moment. Yeah, it's just, it's just remarkable how little we discuss this. And it's exciting to hear about what you're doing with McMaster's in terms of the research. Um, and I'd love for you to unpack a little bit and maybe share a couple of the nuggets that were, that you found out of that. I know one of the, the statistics that you just mentioned about the extraordinary number. And, and of course, uh, in the U.S., we look at uh, something uh, and from a counseling perspective is an ACE, an ACE score. So it adverse childhood experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. there's often, um, we discount that when we think, well, that's just how I grew up, or that's just, that's how it was. Um, I'm over it, <laughs> you know, and you put on your, you know, I'm over it jacket or armor, and then something happens, CPR to your son, or, you know, caregiving for your mother who had dementia, um, mm -hmm. those things come back. What are some of the things that you discovered through, through the research? Well, in the research project, um, we tested a, an intervention um, called narrative exposure therapy. And, uh, and we used, it was online and we used, um, non-professional coaches under the supervision of psycho a psychology team. And we were testing whether or not it's feasible to deliver this type of therapeutic 
um, intervention widely and cheaply to, and for free to anybody who needs it in the caregiving community. So that's what we were trying to establish. Can we do this? And is it working? And is it good? And we found out that it really is. So that'll be the results will be published very soon. There's a couple of papers out on this study already, though. Um, you can Google it. It's called Life Beyond Trauma. And um, so what, what we found was that some of the, the this method um, of narrative exposure therapy is proven already to be really good in PTSD, um, you know, with veterans and stuff like that, people like that, you know, first responders, it has been tested with those communities, but not with, with family caregivers. So, and, and we didn't know if it could be delivered effectively uh, online, virtually. So one of the, you know, one of the, the things about narrative exposure therapy is that we used um, something called a visual image of a lifeline. And it's a, it's a picture of a rope, which represents your life. And um, stones on that rope represent the tra traumatic events in your life. Flowers represent happy events. Um, candles represent something that you, you know, you deeply remember, but, and maybe sad, but is, is not traumatic. And so there are these various things. And as you talk about your life, you place these different objects, and then you can see your whole life represented by the major events in your life. And this process of un packing and disentangling the memories and separating them one from the other is shown to be very helpful in helping people put these demons to rest and um and and in fact uh much of the emotional response to trauma we have is when these memories get tangled up and they become a monster in our head. Uh, so it in terms of getting control over them, separating them, looking at them. And I think the most ironic thing for me in learning about this approach was our first, anybody's first reaction to somebody saying, okay, what you're going to do is you're going to tell me about the, the horrible things that happen to you, but you're going to tell me about the happy and good things too, is it, I can't, I can't go there. And I had a lot of caregiver friends. I said, you have PTSD, you need to do this program. And they said, no, I cannot, I cannot do this. So I think that's very natural to run fast the other way from well, who wants, to, who wants to process the trial, you know, because I, and I, and I will yeah. give a little caveat here that, that coming from a clinical mental health perspective, processing trauma alone, um, 
is not not advised. No. <laughs> a professional um, in a group setting like that, where it has very contained boundaries, you probably had certain guidelines and things like that oh, for totally. trauma. And so I just yeah. want to caveat that with how how important that is because um, diving in and and taking a peek down this this sort of line of uh, you know stones of trauma. Um, can also right can can have that effect of re-remembering and what what I think you're trying to tease out here in this life beyond trauma narrative approach is that when we can and use this description I heard you talk in, in another talk about our mind being a filing cabinet and I've heard that from another yes. uh, trauma specialist where you know oftentimes an incident will happen and we'll file it away in a certain part of our brain and the files get mixed up and confused, mm -hmm. right? Where, where the past and the present. And this brings me to GJ's comment in the, in the chat box, the difference between PTSD and complex PTSD. Um, I'm curious uh, what you would have to say about that. Well, um, I'll quote the principal investigator on the research project, Dr. Pat McGrath, who said that, because um, we had that question a lot um, in presenting the actual study uh, to, to various groups. And um, what he said is that um, this approach, and it is, as, as you say, Melissa, it should never be don't do this alone um it, with with the under the guidance and with the help of a of a mental health professional you go through this process and he said it works regardless of whether the trauma is ongoing and he said the evidence is clear that it shows that further traumas are easier to manage um, and will have less incidents of resulting in PTSD symptoms moving forward after doing this narrative exposure therapy. So it's not to say that trauma is ever easy to experience. It's never anybody with ongoing complex problem, you know, complex trauma, it, it is, is not going to suddenly start, stop suffering from the trauma. Um, and, and that would be disassociation if you did, you know. Um, so that's certainly not the objective, but the objective would be not to stay in that trauma after the trauma is over. Yeah. And I, I to, to kind of reiterate and simplify, um, I love the visual and what, what is interesting about this narrative approach, it's similar to what in the sort of grief therapy world, we do a grief loss line with, and traumas and griefs are, are, you know, they can have a similar effect or they cannot, right? But, but most, most likely um, when we're talking about how we file things in our brain, essentially it's that how, how are we experiencing it in our nervous system? and our mm. system and our body's response to stress. So yes. we might have the same um, either disconnect from emotions um, that we do with grief as and loss as we do with traumas. Um, and so they might have a, 
also very similar as opposed to a linear way of dealing with it. Um, it can be very much circular and, and come back again and again and again in terms of emotionality. But, but what we hope is that through feeling that those, that it's less, that each time we tether toward it, that trauma has less of a trauma response in the body. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is too, a sense of control um, over your memories, your emotions, um, you you know, um, and it, it is this, it is this very complex uh, idea that you don't stop feeling um, hurt, pain, grief, loss, but you know you, it doesn't control you, um, and and it and it has um, another side that you can exit. Uh, you know, it, you're not locked in this black room. Um, you described it as a memory problem, which I think is so fascinating, especially for those yeah. of us who care for someone with dementia or Alzheimer's. Yes, isn't that isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in, in in some ways, there's an analogy to to that too. And I have these beautiful memories of of this, you know, unpacking memories with my mom, but. Yes, I did describe, you know, the filing cabinet analogy where something, you know, traumatic happens and the need for healing from that results in this process of sort of if your brain is a filing cabinet full of files of your life experiences, you know, you tip open your head and all the files fall out on the floor. They're all mixed up. All the papers are all over the place. And what you need to do is pick them up, look at everyone, refile them in a way that makes sense so that you have control over them. And um, this is a process that I've been doing, but on my own, I just came to this as, as um. Oh, I, as as a as an idea that I wanted to do for myself um, through writing, and uh, so I've been doing this for maybe fifteen years now, um, and just turning over and over these experiences and asking myself what they mean, and. Do you attribute putting them your, back in their files? <laughs> yeah. Do you attribute writing? What are some other things that that have helped you through your healing and moving toward post-traumatic growth as opposed to staying stuck in reviewing the files? What, what has helped you move forward into healing? Well, I think community of people like us here today and learning from other people's stories. And thinking to myself, oh, what does that mean to me? What does that remind me of? But understanding that every single caregiver experience is so different, so unique. How can I put myself in their place and deeply understand, but also reflect and then go back, go away, think about what another caregiver's experience means to me. And how would I um, 
what does that remind me of? How would I react? What do I think about that? How do I feel? And this community, not only we do, we realize we are not alone, which is so powerful, but also I think we can place ourselves within a continuum of human experience. And we realize that what we're going through is quintessentially human, noble, and has dignity and has value um, because we're seeing value in other people's experiences. And on reflection, we can take that value and assign it to our own lives too. Mm. That is so beautifully said. I really appreciate um, dignity. I think oftentimes it is absolutely neglected. We think about the hardship or we think about, you know, even vicarious trauma, all of the, all of the other things that are associated with caregiving, but the power of, of this showing up, there is dignity in that. And I, I want to share just something briefly from your, from your book that I found really powerful can I read to you your own words? <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, yeah. So oh, this is really beautiful. Um, oh gosh, I want to read more of it. I'm going to skip down. Uh, so acceptance is a radically disruptive orientation to most people because it asks us to risk engaging with another on their terms, not where we want them to be not where we need them to be, not where we are asking them to be, but where they are now. So you go on further to say, caregiving is a response to a call to accept loved ones or who you're caring for as they are, cognitively, physiologically, relationally. I think that it's is so hard. It's so hard. It is so hard. And that is right. That is just the constant pillar and work of that. And so if you can imagine, right, this need to fully accept the person you're caring for yep. compassion, and you have to offer this self-compassion, which I hear you saying is one of the roads to healing and that post-traumatic growth. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is actually forgiveness. Mm. Like I forgive my mom for having dementia. I forgive her for being an imperfect mother. Yeah. For not being the mom I need. You know, I forgive myself for being an imperfect mother. Like a lot of it, a lot of acceptance in the context of what we do is, is about forgiveness I think oh and, and I, I don't I don't know how anyone else feels but it's that has been one of the most challenging roads and journeys and I think I'd be curious to to hear maybe in an episode two <laughs> we might have to talk about forgiveness uh, but in a short way what do you what do you feel is the key ingredient to forgiveness hmm well, I, I can speak personally. Yeah. Um, I can't speak for anyone else because I think it is a very individual reckoning. Um, 
based on personal histories and everything. But, you know, um, when my, when my mom died, I was so at a loss to talk to anybody else about like, oh, tell me about your mom. And for a, for a while, like for about a month, I, you know, I just, I can't, I can't, there is nothing I can say that I think is true. I, I had a very complicated re relationship with my mother. And um, so she was just very stubborn, extremely willful. She got evicted from her seniors residence. She fired all her helpers. She was a smoker and a drinker right till the end to the day she died with a box of chocolates on her. She was a rule breaker and she didn't change anything for me or my sister to make it easier for us. So I didn't, I thought, who was she anyway? I don't know anymore. So I tried to do this rearranging of memories and put the files back thing for her. And I sat speechless looking at the river for many days thinking, what am I going to say? Who is she? How do I feel about her? And um, I came to finally, I came to a place of peace in my own head. Um, and so I think it is just about saying it is what it is and um i i loved her and it was complicated and i'm healing from all of that uh and i talked to my sister a lot about <laughs> what the heck with mom <laughs> i love how radically honest and raw that feels and it still feels like it's, it was 2018 when she passed. It feels like it's still, oh, yeah, I'm still, still processing that. <laughs> still processing. I'm, I'm going to take one question here to, to wrap up our recording. Um, and if you're listening, you want to join us live next time, because we're going to do some questions offline as well. And so DJ, um, I, I really value your question here. It says, you mentioned that one cannot heal from PTSD alone. You need support. What is the role of social isolation in building the sense of trauma to begin with? Hmm. Well, um, I think social isolation um, is a double-edged sword in terms of any personal efforts to heal from, <laughs> excuse me, trauma and PTSD. Because sometimes if we, you know, the social world can be a distraction from doing the work. <laughs> so sometimes um, social isolation could be seen as an opportunity for deep reflection and deep remembering in a safe space, um, provided that complex trauma is not ongoing, I would say. The reason... The single reason that I was able to do this work and to move forward was that um, I am no longer doing the, 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 the trench. I'm not in the trenches of caregiving anymore. 
My mom died. Our son lives in a fantastic medical group home with one-to-one nursing care 24-7. And I am able to safely be by myself and reflect. And the pandemic for me has been an opportunity to do even more, even deeper. But um, I think that social isolation can also be um, a very it, a, a very negative influence um, on our mental health, of course, as we know. So I would say that in that case, um, if that's what you're experiencing, go online to caregiver support groups like this one and talk to each other about what matters most in your life. Yeah. Thank you, Donna, for that. I I would echo that. I think there's a differentiation between intentional uh, time alone, like aloneness versus loneliness. And so when social, social, social isolation is perpetuates or exasperates loneliness, we've, we've got to find an antidote to that. It is um, detrimental to your health. Uh, and so really important to have connection. And so I, I just want to thank you for that question. And I feel that's a really beautiful note to end on. We're going to have a little more intimate conversation with Donna, but Donna, thank you so much for sharing these words and this wisdom. And I will put in the notes, um, just all of the fantastic resources for people to dive more into these different aspects of caregiving. So thank you. Thank you so much thank you so much for joining us for this beautiful episode with donna thompson some of the feedback that we got was incredibly profound i'll encourage you to let us know your feedback and what meant the most to you in this session Someone commented that this is our favorite podcast so far, and I would have to agree. This is a concept and a topic that is near and dear to my heart as I am a licensed clinical mental health professional and work specifically with trauma and marrying and seeing the needs of our caregivers who support someone with dementia or Alzheimer's and the grief and the loss that they experience and correlating that to um, other traumatic events and the traumatic events that occur as being a caregiver is incredibly profound work. I hope that you will join us for other types of sessions to learn some grounding exercises and some mindfulness. And you'll find a lot of those links right here on our website, um, caregiverwellnessretreat.com. And if you look under the resources segment, there's even a seven day mindfulness series where you can learn quite a few of the grounding techniques, which are very relevant for trauma. And right now I thought we could just do a very simple closing exercise together. It's a little unusual for a podcast, but trauma oftentimes doesn't respond well to taking a breath or exhaling fully, even though that is an amazing way to resource um, and find emotional regulation. Sometimes just simply feeling your feet, 
So I'll encourage you to put two feet if you have access to those. Uh, you can also use your hands as a replacement for the feet, but I like to use the feet. Just notice them, take your attention, tap your toes, wiggle them, scrunch them, maybe brush them along the carpet or the floor, could even stomp them. And then notice, notice any sensations that you feel. Allow the floor to hold you and meet you. Notice your capacity to do what we call ground or feel the earth underneath your feet. You might consider once you turn this off to go take a mindful walk and that just simply means step by step, maybe go out in nature and just notice what you notice. If thoughts come and go, remember to hold yourself with lightness a sense of compassion. Thoughts are just thoughts. They are not who you actually are. Thank you again for joining us. It is such a joy to spend this time with you and a privilege that you have been able to spend time as busy as it is caregiving. Have a beautiful day. <laughs>